Now, um, it's time for us to, to kind of get into this sermon time. And I want to start out with uh, a little bit of an apology. Um, sometimes, especially through our worship time here together and leading up to a sermon, I start to feel a little bit like a caged tiger, just ready to go and kind of pacing and get all excited. And sometimes that's a blessing. Sometimes that can be a hindrance. Um, last week, especially when we were outside at our tailgate party, uh, I was just feeling that excited to be back with you and excited for the day. Um, and I made two errors last week in my sermon that you may have noticed, but I want to call them out. Um, because I don't believe these were like major, huge theological errors that are going to undermine anyone's faith. But if you consistently hear the preacher say dumb things, you're going to stop listening to the preacher because you're going to assume that all he's going to do is say more dumb things. I said two dumb things last week. One of them, as I was uh, explaining through Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, there are two references there to the number seven. One, it talks about seven churches. And just at the end of that, uh, and, and in the same sentence, it talks about seven spirits. And in my explanations, I kind of got them all mixed up. We're going to clarify that today. Thankfully, Jesus clarified that at the end of Revelation 1. But I just want to acknowledge to you that I, I kind of got clumsy with that last week. And as I was speaking to you, I wasn't able to discover a smooth way to talk through it. And so it kind of got dropped. So my apologies. Um, that was just a very awkward and, and incorrect explanation of churches and spirits. We'll get there in a minute. The other one I didn't realize it until I was at my small group meeting on Tuesday night. We had a fantastic time in our small group. I don't know if any of you have been going through like the, the, the revelation questions. Following. We had a great time as couples talking about the sermon of the, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and somebody said, Would, you know that you said that Revelation 21 was the last book of the Bible? I said, yeah, I said, I, I said that a couple times. And they said, well, it's not. And, and even then, I was like, and they said, well, there's Revelation 22. And I went, oh, well, yeah, of course there is. I know that Revelation 22 is there. It's very interesting. Not even supposed to add jots and tittles, right, this whole thing? I know Revelation 22 is there. I've read it. I'm preparing to preach about it. But somehow, when I was up on that wagon last week, I think I said to you three times, Revelation 21, the last chapter of the Bible. I don't know why. But I apologize because it was wrong. And again, these are the little things. They kind of drive me a little crazy. I didn't notice that one. Thank you, small group, for helping uh, to point that out to me. Uh, but apologies. Sometimes, uh, sometimes just in my enthusiasm and excitement and, um, and desire uh, to share, sometimes I do make mistakes. And so I apologize for those. Thank you so much for your grace. Um, nobody wrote me scathing emails. Perhaps you didn't even notice it. But Lord, I pray that you would help all of us today, God, to understand your word correctly and properly. Lord God, help me to uh, express this sermon accurately and truthfully. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to this place now, and I invite you to come to every person sitting here in this place, every person who might be listening through the video. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and open our ears and open our eyes to see things the way that they really are and not to get tripped up on any kind of human mistake, human inaccuracy, or human bias. Lord, I thank you that you've protected us and kept us close together through so many things that could have been difficult to understand. But Lord, you brought us here. Thank you. Help us to move forward well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As I'm still looking back, I want to follow up as well on Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Revelation 1, 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. 
Uh, this week, for Melanie and Bree and I, um, we listened a bit in the car. One night we were on the way home, and we just got the Bible app and listened to the audio and, and listened to some of Revelation. And, and, um, and, and one night after supper, we, we read aloud for a bit and, and just kind of did that as a family. There were so many things this week in my life and in the life of our family that could have gone badly, things that just, you know, conversations and meetings and talks and, and stuff that could have gone badly, but they didn't. They went well. And so I look back and say, blessed indeed are we who heard the message of Revelation. And then it was just neat. I don't know if you guys have this in your house. Some days it just feels like you're all on the same page, and other days it feels like you're not. You ever have that? And that might just be if there's just one of you. Some days are good days, and some days are bad days. Yesterday, we just had a great day as a family. Um, some challenges, but overall, it was just a good day. Do you know what I mean? I, I look back and I say, well, we read and listened to Revelation. The Scripture says that we'd be blessed. We were blessed. That's my testimony. I wonder, before we go any farther, is there anyone who read or listened to the book of Revelation in the last two weeks who can point to a particular blessing that you'd like to share with us now very quickly? Any, any blessings that anyone has to report? Because we need to talk, we talk about our challenges, of course, but any blessings that need to be shared? Raise your hand if you've got one. Jim Blank, he says he started reading it and couldn't hardly put it down. Now, how often does that happen with a book, Jim? No, not too often. I mean, right? There's some stuff that we read. It's just, ugh. But God was speaking to you. Fascinating. Outstanding. Thanks, Jim. That's a blessing. Any, any other? Yes, Maureen. So a two-year issue. Finally, you found some peace this week. Well, that's an amazing coincidence, isn't it? No, that's not a coincidence. That's God at work. Yeah, I got you. No, I got you. No, that's great. God's blessings. Praise God. We need to thank him when they happen. Any other blessings in the room from, that, that you might connect to, to just reading and hearing God's word? All right. Well, you might think of one in the next little while. If you do, talk to somebody about that in the lobby before you go. Don't keep the blessings to yourself, okay? Don't keep the blessings to yourself. Thank you for sharing. And, and keep at it. Keep reading. Even if you read through all of Revelation this week, all 22 chapters. Even if you read through all of it, do it again. Blessed is the one who reads. Blessed is the one who hears. Blessed are the ones who take to heart what is written there. All right, so now today, we're in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9. We're looking at the second half of this. I know there's a lot of introduction to Revelation, isn't there? We're going to continue on. Here it is. Revelation, we know it is a prophecy. We know it is a, a, a sign or, or a revealing, a pulling back the curtain about what's going to happen in the future. It's also a letter. This is something that we saw in verse 1. It was spoken to John, and here we get a little bit more of that explanation. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Here is this John. And John is on the island of Patmos. That was a prison island. You might think of Alcatraz today. Now, on the island of Alcatraz, it's not just the San Francisco Bay that keeps everyone on the island, but there is the, the Alcatraz prison fortress. Well, Patmos was an island like that where prisoners were sent. And what John is saying here is he was there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, he is in jail for preaching. He is in jail for spreading the news about Jesus. 
I, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus on the island of Patmos. Verse 10, on the Lord's day, on the Lord's day, that is John was taking, kind of like we are here in this place, we take our time to, to worship perhaps differently than the rest of the week. He said, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. What does that mean? That means that he was praying. Ross, thank you for your introduction today, you know, so that we can pray. John at this time, he could pray, and he did, and he was. And John, this one who was being persecuted, we know that God ministers to those who are persecuted for their faith. John, who was being persecuted, he was in the Spirit, that is communing closely with God. He says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. In other words, I'm going to show you something. Write it down and send it to these churches. And these seven churches, these were, these were towns that were not so far away. They were, these are not, you know, today we might, oh, Philadelphia, I know that one. What's with the rest of these? Well, these, are, these were churches that existed when John got this vision. And so here is this voice, this loud voice, saying, write it on a scroll, send it to the seven churches. So even though he was in prison, John had some freedom, apparently, to be able to have a scroll and to be able to write it down. And then he sent the rest of what is included in Revelation to these churches. Verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, because of course you would, right? If you were, if you were in an isolated place and you heard a voice like a trumpet behind you saying, John, write this down. Wouldn't you turn around and see who that was? I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, here we see this seven thing again. I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. In other words, looked human, right? Kind of like a human figure. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. A robe reaching down to his feet, that wouldn't have been so unusual in John's time. Men then didn't dress quite the way that we do now. But the golden sash, that's a different kind of a thing. What, what do you think of when you think of a golden sash? Were any of you at the Selenko Fair Parade this week? Did you see anyone with a sash? I did. Who did you see at the parade with a sash? Uh, who was it, Chuck? The Solanco? The Fair Queen. Yeah. There, every, you know, there's, there's the Fair Queen or, or the Dairy Princess with a sash. It's like a royalty kind of a thing, right? Here is this person behind John speaking to him with a loud voice like a trumpet, standing among the seven lampstands, kind of like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. That golden sash, that indicates royalty. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. We are told in other parts of Scripture that the Word of God is a double-edged sword capable of dividing things that need to be divided. Here is, here is this one, like a son of man, out of his mouth is a sharp double-edged sword speaking truth that cuts through. 
says his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. We could go super deep into all of these little descriptions, but the bottom line is that this is an impressive sight, like a son of man, kind of has a human figure, but so much more brighter, more powerful voice, like the sound of rushing waters. When I saw him, we can tell that John was impressed because he says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. How many times in Scripture do we see do not be afraid? We see this often when, when angels approach humans because the humans bowed down. This is what the angels said to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. Don't be afraid, right? This is what this character, we're going to see in just a moment here who it is. We, we believe it's Jesus, but here we're going to see this character said to John, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Oh, okay. Verse 18, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is Jesus speaking to John. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. Jesus says to John, this is prophecy. This is a revelation of what is about to come. Write it down. And prophecy can sound confusing. Here we've got seven lampstands and seven stars. What's that all about? Well, praise God that it's not the end of the passage. John continues writing in verse 20. He says, the mystery. And if you're holding a Bible or if you're holding a, an application that has a Bible and highlight it somehow or underline it, mystery there are mysteries inherent in our reading of the Bible. Now here Jesus explains, or John rather, records how Jesus explained the mystery. It says, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus says, I'm among these churches. I want you to take this revelation out to them, but, but I'm not far from them. I am with these seven lampstands, these seven churches, these, these people who are hiding their light under a bushel. No, they're letting it shine, right? The church we, we are, because of what Jesus has done in us, we are the light of the world. And so these lampstands bringing light to the world, Jesus says, I am with them and I am among them. And the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, he has complete control over them. These angels are in his hands. They are the angels of those churches. And, and, and Pastor Steve is preaching or teaching a series on angels, angelology, in the lob or library over the next couple of weeks. Maybe you can get some more clarity from him there. But there's this indication that each of these seven churches has an angel that's kind of over top of it, in charge of it, helping it, assisting it. And Jesus says, I know them too. And I'm watching these seven churches, and I've got their spirits in my hands. It's very helpful that we have this interpretation, isn't it? Otherwise, you might just have confused preachers like myself. Oh, the seven lampstands are these, and the seven stars are those, and you never know if anybody's telling the truth. This introduces a really important, a really important principle for us that we're going to have to keep in mind the next couple of weeks as we study Revelation. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. Here we get it right away, just a couple of verses later. The mystery of what I just wrote, it's this. 
Sometimes it's not quite so simple. Sometimes we have to, if we're confused in one part of Scripture, we have to read the rest of the Bible, and we have to remember that Revelation, this is still part of all that. Revelation isn't a book that stands outside of Scripture. Rather, it's a part of Scripture. So one of the basic rules of biblical interpretation is that we let Scripture interpret Scripture. We need to make sure that we don't get all weird just because Revelation is a different style on a different topic. Let the clear Scriptures teach about the unclear Scriptures. Let the New Testament inform the Old Testament. And we know that the words of Jesus are powerful overall. For example, in Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says to his disciples, he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man way out in the future. And Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 24, 36, he says, about that day or the hour, no one knows. In other words, nobody knows when I'm coming back. He says, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, referring to himself. He says, but only God, the Father. Jesus says that in Matthew 24, 36, very clear, right? He says, nobody knows. Only God knows. That's pretty clear. Well, if we have any questions in the whole rest of Scripture about, well, when is Jesus coming back? Well, let's speculate. Let's figure it out. And, and we see the political movings, and we see the, the heavenly risk board working itself out as, the, as the, maybe the Gog and the Magog, and they're doing this, and that guy's doing that. Oh, boy, it's going to be in 2036. Jesus is coming back. I figured it out, guys. If I tell you that, you fire me today. Oh, man, serious. It's, it's, it may sound funny. Maybe by 2036, you'll be ready for me to be out of here. But we have these sometimes unclear, mysterious passages in Revelation, and, and we're tending, or we are tempted to speculate. Some people, we've heard them go on TV and on the radio and write it down on papers and post it on websites. Well, here's, we know when the date is coming. No, we don't, because Jesus was very clear. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the one whose words are above all. He said, we don't know when this is happening. Jesus says, I don't even know this. How presumptuous we must be to say that we know, right? We let the clear scriptures of the Bible interpret the scriptures that are not so clear. And now that informs our understanding of the book of Revelation, doesn't it? I call your attention again to the word mystery in verse 20. Not everything is clearly explained somewhere else. There are still mysteries in our world, things about the future, things about God that we don't understand and cannot understand until they happen. This does call for humility on our part. Church, don't idolize your mind. You're a lot of smart people, but you're not going to figure out everything. Even as we get into Revelation, even if you read every book and compare them all together, listen to what the preacher says, compare it to the 900 other guys online that are teaching through it. We're not going to understand it all. But we do know as is written in 2 Timothy 3.16, here's another very clear passage. Paul says to the young preacher, Timothy, he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scripture works in us to make good things happen. Even those mysterious parts, we can dwell on them, we can chew on them, but we need some humility. Sometimes we can say, I don't know exactly what that means, but I know I know that it's good, and so we can read this and think about it, because we are thoroughly equipped, as, Timothy, as Paul said to Timothy, we are thoroughly equipped to do everything that we need to do. So there are mysteries, and there can be different ways to understand things. Pieces of revelation are not so clear. 
We must make sure we weigh our conclusions against the clear teaching of Jesus Christ. <laughs> For another one of those things, Jesus says to his disciples near the end of his time with them, he says, go make disciples of all the world, baptizing and teaching them, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if that charge to go and make disciples, to go and teach, to go and baptize, if that charge ever gets negated because of your understanding of Revelation, or your particular philosophies of the millennium or, or things in the end time. In other words, if you ever come to the point where you say, well, look what Revelation says. We might as well just quit right now. There's no point. Well, you've misread Revelation. Because here's Jesus saying very clearly, church, I want you to go and do this. Teach, baptize. And he says, why else would Jesus say, I'm with you very, to the very end of the age? This is our job, and so if revelation and our understanding of that ever gets us to the point where we say, eh, quit preaching, guys. Eh, quit teaching. Don't worry about baptizing. Everybody just kind of huddle up in your, in your bug-out house, and you'll be fine. No, that's not a faithful interpretation of what the Scripture is telling us. So we have to keep these things in mind, right? But how many people do you know who've just gotten a little out of whack, a little off, because of the way that they read and understood books like Revelation. It happens, doesn't it? We don't want that to happen to us, so we must be careful. There are, there are a couple things that we need to avoid. I, I put these together. I, I call it the sad seven. Hans is going to put it up on the screen for us one by one. It starts with fascination. Jim, I appreciate very much what you said today. The book of Revelation is fascinating. This topic is so interesting, it gets us dreaming. And it's great to be curious. It's amazing when the Holy Spirit grabs us like that and makes the, spirit, or makes the Scriptures come alive. But we know people who have taken that fascination too far, right? And it turned into an obsession. And they began to read everything through the lens of Revelation. Instead of understanding everything through the words of Jesus Christ and what God is doing, all of a sudden Revelation is the main thing, right? And then they get to all kinds of questions because they were fascinated. And after their fascination, they get into speculation. Read it along with me. Speculation. Speculation. I move beyond a healthy asking of what does this say and what does this mean to the point of gathering teachers around me who will tell me what I want to hear, which is us forming the text instead of letting the text form us. We go from fascination, and if we don't keep that in the right, godly, wise place, it turns into speculation. And we don't want to speculate too much on the book's of the Bible. We read what they say, we apply them to our lives, but sometimes we need to just let that be enough. Jesus says you're not going to know the times and the dates, so just don't speculate on that. But another stage to avoid, once we've been fascinated, once we get into speculation, is then, then I know people who have gotten deep into exaggeration. And their fascination and speculation took them to a place where, well, now this explains everything, doesn't it? Look at this one little thing, and you see when this thing came from the sky, well, this, this, it explains it all. All of our lives. Could, have you heard preachers talk like that? It's because sometimes they are like a tiger in a cage too. And sometimes their wisdom leaves them. We're not going to be too fascinated with the Word of God, and we're not going to speculate too deeply on the Word of God, and we should never exaggerate about the Word of God. We are called to be people of truth, Right? But sometimes, sometimes, people exaggerate the importance of small items and they turn unessential details into the most important core issues. That's a problem. That's exaggeration. 
We don't want to do that. Because, Ross, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to think and be sober-minded about the things that we're doing. And if we're not careful, exaggeration can then lead to elevation. This topic becomes the most important thing to the exclusion of all the other teachings of the Bible, but Revelation is still part of the whole Scripture. This is still part of that. And then that elevation, if left unchecked, leads to division. Division. Partly because of aggravation. I was having fun with words the other day. They just kept coming to my mind, so I share them with you. Because of aggravation, we begin to get aggravated. If, if, if I have this idea that this is finally the answer, this is the key, this is the, this is the whole filter through which we can see everything and understand it, I begin to get aggravated at you people who don't see things the same way I do. And then with me, you begin to get frustrated because I'm a one-trick pony who seems to be unreasonable so locked into my narrow fascination that I can't see the forest for the trees. And that aggravation and frustration, they lead to division, right? Oh, he's just that crazy revelation guy. She just won't let it go and won't hear anything else because she's so wrapped up in it. Now, now again, hear me well. It's good to study and think deeply and to pray. And sometimes God, as he did with John, sometimes God kind of grabs us in the spirit and gives us great ideas. But again, Revelation and, and all of this stuff about the future, this is just a piece of what we're called to do in our Christian life. We cannot let this one piece of our understanding lead to division, because division leads to isolation. Aggravation and frustration without humiliation leads to division until we find ourselves standing alone with our issue, holding it and cuddling it at night because at least I'm right about Revelation. They can all go hang. Doesn't matter. I got it right. And that isolation, that isolation leads to desolation. Emptiness. Emptiness. Because when we have separated ourselves from the flock, when we have made ourselves the only one who is right, then we've also made ourselves a target, and Satan loves to divide and conquer. We've done half of his work for him already. I just put these seven things before you, these sad seven things that can happen, that happen all too often when we get into these fascinating passages of prophecy. I just put them before you to remind us that, that all this stuff must be considered soberly and carefully. Because we are in a world today that is quite different. I got to live, or I got to listen to... Uh, to Bob Gerhardt's sermon this past week. Bob was here the last week of August, and um, his was one of the last ones I hadn't listened to yet, and so I got to listen to him, and, and he talked about the passage in Corinthians where um, we have the treasure of God in jars of clay. Do you remember him talking about that? We have our light in jars of clay, and he said, we are oppressed, we are persecuted, we are struck down, but we're not destroyed, we're not crushed, we're not abandoned. Pastor Bob talked about that really well. He talked about how God knows that we need hope. God knows that we can endure much if we know that the end is in sight, but we can't endure much if there is no point to it. So in Revelation, God gives us the point. He gives us this, this revealing of the future so that we know maybe not every detail, but we know the grand sweep of things. We know that Christ is coming back. 
We know that all things will be made right. We know that there will be perfect justice for all of the injustice that we see around us. We know that there will be, there will be deliverance from this suffering and pain that is part of living in this world. Revelation is kind of like the calliope at the end of that parade. You hear it coming, and you know, okay, it's finally almost over. We can soon get out of here, but it's not here yet. And so God has given us this, this picture of, of what is yet to come so that we can hang in even in the midst of a difficult life. Are you being moved today? Is there something you need to do since the time is short? Is there someone you need to talk to? Because we know that Christ is coming back. We don't know when, but we're told over and over that it's going to be soon. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness and mend fences. Maybe you just need to tell someone about your hope in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to tell someone that you love him, that you love her, that they are important to you. Maybe you just need to keep doing what you're already doing. We heard Ross read from 1 Peter 4. George referred to it while he was standing up here. Peter, that one who denied Jesus but who made things right with Jesus, he said, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The end is near. Some of you need to make big changes. Some of us need to mend fences, fix relationships. Some of us need to clear our minds and focus again on the Lord. Some of us just need to keep doing what we're doing. Some of you are on a good track. You're loving and you are hospitable and you are sharing the word of God. You're using your gifts to serve others. Good. Keep at it. Don't give up, even as the end approaches. I told you about the calliope at the end of the Solanco parade. It was always my favorite thing as a little boy, even though I was a little scared of it. That big steam organ thing. It's a little bit out of tune. They're working on it hard, but boy, some of those notes just aren't right there, but the guy's still playing away. And I hear that thing coming, and even today I look at it and think, oh, it used to be so big and scary, and now it's just a little truck with an organ on it. But it says something, doesn't it? It says the end is here. And I never noticed it before, but this year I did. When I heard it two, three blocks away, people around me started packing up their chairs, gathering up all their loot, and leaving. I thought, the parade's not over yet. It's not even here. I think you and I, and, and some of the people we know, could be tempted to be that way as well. We know that Jesus is coming soon. We, we can, we can kind of hear it off in the distance. Don't just pack up your chairs and get ready to head home. Keep at the good things that you're doing until the end finally comes. And then, and then it'll be quite a show. The worship team's going to come forward and, and we're going to sing a big, loud, crazy song as we leave. It will encourage us to stick with it. But before we sing, can we pray? Will you join me in prayer? 
Oh, Lord, help us. Help us as we continue to study the book of Revelation, as we continue to think about the future that you are laying out for us. Lord, help us to think about it with alertness and a sober mind. Lord, help us to keep praying. Help us to remain loving and hospitable. Help us to share our gifts. Help us to serve others. Help us to take seriously the words that we speak. Lord, help us not to grow dull in all of this. Help us not to pack it in just because the end is near, but Lord, help us because the end is near. Help us to stay alert even as this day approaches. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and I thank you for grabbing us, grabbing our mind and our attention and helping us to focus on the Word of God. But Lord, help us to keep all things in proper balance not to get carried away by our own thoughts and curiosities and opinions, but to instead stay dedicated, devoted, and focused on you. Holy Spirit, help us. We need you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.